The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Let's talk uh, a little bit about the issue of confidentiality. Um, Looked at one way, patients have a right to know the truth about uh, their health because they have a primary responsibility for their, for their health. But they also have a right to privacy about aspects of their lives which do not directly affect others. And healthcare uh, people have a serious obligation uh, to maintain the kind of confidence that protects the patient's right to privacy. Um, now, what happens in practical life, and then what about some biblical principles here? Well, um, in practical life, uh, the question is raised, and I think we've all faced it either from one end or the other of the, of the um, uh, spectrum. Um, when a patient asks what he or she's got, is the physician always required to answer straight? What about when questioned by others about a patient's condition? Um, and if confidentiality is established, what, how do you go about it? Is you, are you to protect your confidentiality by lying? Um, what, um, what do you do? Well. Um, my sense is that in general, and I can think of very few exceptions to this, um, the doctor ought to tell the patient as much as is going to be a part of the healing process or as much as is realistic about the likely prognosis as is going to help the patient make crucial decisions about his or her life. Now, this is fairly easy in the case of, you know, you've, uh, you're overweight, um, you really need to uh, eat less uh, sugar and less fat and go on a diet and there's nothing to protect there and, and accept the pride of the patient. It's a lot harder when the patient may be dying of cancer. And uh, what do you do in that case? Um, my view is that I can think of almost no situation in which a physician should keep from the patient the fact 
that there's a likelihood, and they never can be infallible on this, that the, the kind of cancer they have is, is, um, is deadly and, and gives them all the scenarios and, and so on. Um, I think it's, it's a very important part of uh, the care of the whole person so that that person can prepare himself for um, not only the ultimate questions of life, which of course is, is the basic thing, but how to, how to uh, get his house in order. Um, I know you can think of exceptions. For example, apparently when Kennedy was shot, they, they kept the news from his dad who, was, who had had, I think, a couple of heart attacks and they feared that this one would send him away. Um, and if memory serves, I think he read it in the newspaper, but and didn't die. Um, but the idea there was that there is, there are some kinds of news which are are so brutal that it might do more harm than good to certain people. Um, but I think on the, on the whole, it's hard to conceive of keeping something true about a person, especially if the person is going to die from them, it's hard to conceive how that could be helpful. Um, as a matter of fact, I have discovered that um, they sort of know anyway. Um, so several years ago, the uh, one of my very close associates' wife died uh, of cancer, and she, uh, it was very rapid, she came down with uh, terrible stomach pains and so on in, in the month of May. In the month of June they operated for cancer all over her abdomen and uh, it had gotten into her liver and um, and then she died in the very beginning of September. It was actually you know longer than it could have been but now my dear friend the husband had this idea that it was very important for her not to know and he had this huge campaign going, and he got everybody to promise that they wouldn't tell her. He got the—I mean, he, he got the doctor to promise not to tell her. He got uh, me, which was very—I didn't promise, but I decided I would respect him. Um, but um, he got everybody who was going to visit the person to, to agree not to tell her, or he wouldn't let them visit her. Well, I visited her. I guess within a few weeks of the end, and um, she kind of knew. Um, hello, Don. Uh, and it was very frustrating because she kept saying, you know, from what I can tell, this is the end, but nobody wants to tell me about it. <laughs> it was just awful. And. Uh, um, I uh, I disagreed, you know, heartily with this man because he, in a way, deprived her of the right to prepare herself. Actually, however, as I'm saying, she she kind of knew, and so she did, in a sense, prepare herself. It was also an interesting thing going on because what he was really doing, uh, not to be too psychoanalytical, but what he was really doing. I think was avoiding the problem himself. This is a case where somebody was dying of cancer and his, her husband uh, wanted um, no one to tell her. She, she wanted to keep her from it. Um, now, um, 
there is possibly more justification for keeping the knowledge from others on occasion. There may be reasons to keep the knowledge from others. Um, it may not be the most helpful thing for a small child to learn about the brutality of a, of a disease that's affecting the child's mother or father. Um, it, uh, it also, uh, in certain diseases where you're not dying, there may be reasons to keep the knowledge from others because you know that they will make the wrong thing of it. Um, and there are diseases which are connected with um, embarrassing things that you're trying to get over. I mean, let's say you're an alcoholic. Um, and um, not that it's a disease, but it, it can take on proportions of a disease, of course. It can, there can be terrible problems of, of cirrhosis and so on. Um, and let's say you've gone in to try and, and finally get cured and, and, and it's, you've had cold turkey and, and you've decided that you're going to make a go of it and the doctors are helping you and so on. It may not be uh, the most helpful thing for people to hear what's happened to you. Um, they may do the wrong thing with the information. They may think less, less of you. They may give you a hard time at work. Uh, they may put you down for it. Um, on the other hand, very often, a person who's in that condition will want his friends and relatives and so on to know, because that's part of the cure. The old AA adage is, um, you know, get up and admit that you're a drunk. Um, and um, that's half the cure, so they say. So these are, these are very uh, difficult um, questions. Um, the right of privacy of course, is one of the uh, sacred um, virtues of our, of our society. Um, but it is limited. It's also limited by the rights of other persons. Um, and the individual is not totally um, free to, to dispose of himself as, as he will. Um, patients, for example, may behave in ways which injure themselves or even indirectly uh, injure others. Um, if a patient commits suicide um, and seeks or seeks a way to continue chemical dependency, or here we are back to AIDS again, um, who uh, are in risk of spreading contagious diseases and so on, um, need to know that their right to privacy is limited. Um, I had a boy come to me when I was a high school teacher after one of my classes and um, confessed that he had been taking heroin and it was very hard for him to do and uh, after this confession he said please don't tell my parents and I said well I, that's not a that's something you can't require of me, first of all, and I don't think it's in your best interest. What I'd like is for you to tell your parents, and I'll be there with you if you'd like. And at first, of course, he, he hated the idea. I mean, it just was awful. But then he began to see the, the sense of it, and um, part of the sense of it, of course, was the, the fact that he was getting a supply from somebody who was um, corrupting high school kids. 
the main thing, of course, was the, uh, his own cure. So we, we, we came to a scheme, and uh, we rehearsed it, and we, we did some role play, and, and we brought the parents in, and it was hard, but he, he did it, and the parents, after a lot of struggle, accepted it and sent him to a place to, to, get, um, to get rehabilitated. And then they pursued um, the people who were um, pushing this stuff. Um, it happened not to be at our school, but at a neighboring school. Um, and um, so there are cases where um, you cannot uh, simply be confidential because it's dangerous and it's not good for the person. Um, a person also may be uh, so seriously incompetent that they become a public danger. Um, the epileptic bus driver, for example, uh, would, who refuses to change his job. Um, there's a famous case called Tarasov versus Regents of the University of California where the uh, court held that a therapist was responsible um, for not warning third parties that his client might be dangerous. Uh, this was a, some kind of murderer. And, uh, you know, generally, of course, you come to a psychiatrist uh, and you're assured of total confidentiality. But, like the case of my guy with heroin, if you, if you confess that you're a, a murderer, the uh, most states decide that um, it is the responsibility of the therapist um, at least to work with the uh, forces of, of order, um, if not to, to, to turn them in. Um, now, in all these cases, of course, the, the family or society has an obligation to prevent harm to the patient and the public, because all are members of this community, which I've been pushing for in the first half, um, and they exist for the good of each other. Um, hence, uh, professionals not only have the right, but also the duty to communicate and inform uh, so that um, serious harm, not only to others, but to the patient, can, can be avo avoided, even when this is given to them in confidence. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a um, this is a tough one um, because you have to determine that AIDS is a communicable disease, um, which it is and it isn't, because the way of communication is by uh, doing acts that are immoral, whether taking injections or being unfaithful. Um, and um, so many people would feel that in this case, confidentiality is all right, but at the same time you've got to educate the society um, to, uh, to, staying, to staying safe. Uh, others would argue Confidentiality has no place because this person is a risk. Um, I lean towards saying we could keep confidentiality in most cases, not in all, but in most cases, um, because it seems to me that um, 
it's the, the way of getting of getting uh, HIV um, is a way that involves breaking a moral code, and that's something that you don't want anybody to do for any reason. If you go after the person with AIDS, um, you make them a special case of it, and then you say that they they have to have their um, their freedom removed, which in fact is not always necessary. Um, in many, perhaps most professions, the fact of having HIV is not a danger to the profession, to the calling. Now, if the person has serious problems and goes around, you know, infecting others, that's 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 of course different. Um, but you know, a uh, there was a school in England which wrestled with this because they had a child who had HIV through uh, a blood transfusion when the mother was pregnant. And uh, at first the parents didn't want their children to go in, to the school and play with the child and so on. And then they came to an agreement that there was very little, if not an, uh, minimal or no risk of getting the disease from the child. The only place it could happen would be like on the recess field if he scratched himself and then he made contact with another child who scratched himself and you know so they set up things to avoid that but they decided that on the whole um, the um, the child should have that freedom and, and they decided not to just tell all the parents uh, but they had the teachers know and the teachers kind of guided the thing so that that child was never put in a situation where he might infect another. And I, I think that's probably good. Uh, if you begin to tell everybody um, and uh, you begin to, uh, then you can, you can seriously, I think, impair the, uh, the freedom and the rights of someone who, whose, whose rights um, are not necessarily uh, in question. Um, this, of course, becomes a very different kind of matter when you're at the acute phases of it. Um, and there are certain professions where you really don't want to have people with HIV. So um, it, it, it's, a diff it's a really tough one. Um, what do you, how do you justify biblically what amounts to lying when you have decided that confidentiality is um, is okay, well, the uh, the ninth commandment proscribes false witness. Um, but what is uh, false witness? Um, some would distinguish between a falsehood, that is a false statement, and a lie. A lie is a statement that's false, but also one that is made to someone who has the right to know the truth. And you can think of biblical examples where this distinction, I think, is made. Um, what about the case of Rahab? who hid the spies and then told a falsehood to the um, pursuance from um, the enemy. Um, 
Now, some Christians, some ethicists believe that she was wrong to tell a falsehood. That when the book of Hebrews commends her, it's for her general faith, but not for the particular act of, of the falsehood. My view is that the falsehood was justified because in a wartime situation, people do not have the right to know the kind of answer that they were requiring of her. Remember David going mad? <clears throat> right. To go mad in order to get Frothing at the standard. mouth, yeah. And there is no, um, no indication in the narrative that that was a bad thing to do. Now, the Bible doesn't always give an opinion, but it usually does. At least give a hint of the fact that this was not the right thing to do. Um, in fact, in Psalm, is it 34, where David comments on his own experience, he said he praises the Lord for protecting him, and uh, the midwives, you remember, um, in Egypt, um, were told by the um, the Egyptians to kill the male child children, um, and they wouldn't do it and they made up some story like uh, they came out so fast it was you know we couldn't handle it um, I, I, I think this is a, um, a biblical principle that um, falsehood is sometimes justified because the person does not have the right to a true answer in some circumstances war is a is a very classic one games is another I mean kind of stupid to watch a football game when, you know, and after the huddle, they decide, well, I can't, I cannot tell a lie, I better go tell them my, my play. I mean, <laughs> um, so there are, there are, and then this other, this uh, a problem of, of confidentiality, of course, relates to the to professional secrecy. Um, you, of course, um, when you are hearing someone's problems as a therapist or, or a minister, um, in, in most cases um, um, you're hearing somebody's repentance or somebody's uh, moral um, confession, confidences, um, uh, revealing personal moral responsibility before God, and um, in that sense it's beyond human judgment. Um, and um, it's not that it's it's something that has to be told or told about, um, and there are many cases where uh, murders and crimes like that have been confessed, and um, it has not been prosecuted um, because there there seemed to be no good reason to do so. Um, very serious problems about confidentiality have been raised recently um, by the fact that health records are computerized um, and by the requirement of private and government health insurance plans um, that, uh, that doctors report the nature of, of illness as a, as a condition for getting paid. Um, now, a, a, a doctor does not have the right to give information without the patient's permission. But you still have the larger question of how are patients to obtain the benefits 
uh, to which they're entitled without giving such permission. Um, the insurance or public agency has the right to ask proof from patients that they have used funds for a legitimate medical purpose, but the agency also has the duty to, to design adequate controls um, which do not require a detailed account of the disease, even, uh, even when permission is given. Um, and care has to be taken to limit the availability of these records um, to a few definitely authorized persons. Um, some professionals argue for extreme individualistic or sort of libertarian position. Um, or they'll say that addicts should be permitted free access to alcohol and drugs. Um, or um, uh, there should be the freedom to any kind of behavior and it, you know, and the idea that it's only harming yourself doesn't harm others. Um, and this is, was a frequently used argument in the 60s for, for things like marijuana. It doesn't harm anyone, it was said. And if it, it does harm anyone, it's myself. It's my own choice. I can do what I want. In fact, of course, um, it does harm others besides yourself because we all live in community. We live in families who care about us. We live in a society which, in which, whether we want to or not, we're examples. Um, and um, we, have to, uh, we have to act in community. And so we are not free to decide to do what we want and then have it kept a secret. Um, so I think this is a, uh, it's a, it's a tricky matter. There are many circumstances in which you do want to maintain secrecy, but there are others where you just simply cannot because you uh, belong to, to society at large. Um, does anybody want to add anything about um, confidentiality? Um, I didn't say very much about it. It's a, it's a law. It's a big subject, actually. When I was doing my research for my paper on organ transplants, I came across something very interesting in that family members who have a, a match for a transplant, they don't want to, for example, a kidney. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to give up one of their kidneys for a family member. Ask the doctor to lie about their compatibility with uh, the family, so oh there's my. no pressure put on them oh to donate. And a lot of doctors have a problem with that because it's hard to say to the family, no, I have, you know, there's no one that matches the patient. Well, it isn't in fact, true. They know that there is someone. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I guess um, my simplistic answer would be, why don't they, why do they hide behind the, um, you know, why do they hide behind the doctor when they could uh, just tell them themselves? Of course, it's, I know it's, it's, it's embarrassing and difficult. Well, there's incredible pressure. Yeah, Jennifer right. Says, well, if you just do it, you would save their life. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. There's a new case, um, is it cousin, you know, cousin, you know, one, I'll put foremost to you with his, Oh, yeah. Yeah, another one, oh, my. Yeah. Just a what do you think about uh, the proposal of national health insurance? How would that affect it? What do you 
project to that if that comes if that comes. Well, I would agree with uh, Jonathan Silly, who, who was here a few weeks ago, uh, that it's going to happen. I think it's just a matter of time. But having lived in two societies and knowing a third quite well where there is national health, um, I, I guess I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, where I think it's justified is that there's a huge number of people today who simply aren't getting care. And one of the reasons for that has surely got to be that there is um, too much expense involved in, in getting a doctor and so on. And if national health um, has done a lot for older people through Medicare Medi Medicaid, it'll certainly do a lot for those people. Um, my uh, reservations are that in a couple of the places where we've lived, where um, there is a, uh, a national health program, um, the, the, the level of care you get doesn't seem to me to be as, as high. Um, in one of the places we lived, it was very high. In France, it was very high. And national, the fact of national health not only was not a detriment to, but was a promoting of, of high care because of the way it was structured. But I went to a couple of countries where it seemed to me we were always lining up in some room and we would get some intern and um, he'd do the best he can or she would and, um, and then you were, you were finished. And it seems to me it's, it's a healthier society that can have the freedom to um, to go to a a person of their choice. To be sure, in national health care, um, in most of the systems, you still can go to a person of choice, but it costs you incredible amounts. And like in France, if you go to a doctor that's outside of the system, uh, you just won't be reimbursed, and so that's pretty pretty prohibitive. Um, in others societies, um, you're forced to go to your own sector as opposed to a neighboring sector, and that, that's a, you know, that sounds right, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be uh, very helpful, helpful, because the other sector might be better than yours. So I have mixed feelings about it. I think in any case, it is not a panacea. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be a political thing. It's going to sound great, um, and you can, you know, like Wolford, he was, he, he, he campaigned on this basis and he was giving all these cases of poor people who couldn't get care and I mean it's pretty hard to argue against that. Um, but uh, I, it's going to come and it just will not be a big panacea. It'll, we'll just have another set of problems, more bureaucracy, more stuff and you know we'll, we'll have to muddle along. Well, we've been um, talking about price of privacy. Um, my fear with national health insurance is that coupled with uh, the computerization of information, um, much medical information about patients will become readily available across the country, especially to investigators who will use it for data processing, I mean, public, publishing papers. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, this brings up a question, um, which is that of um, the economic side of this, which is to say that, um, 
perhaps the poor, poor people will not care if they go to see anybody on the national plan um, because they need to have their child taken care of, and so on. And uh, so the information gets put in somewhere, into some data bank, et cetera. Um, but as, as one goes up the ladder of economic wealth, one will find more pressure towards individualization. And uh, uh, that will, that, that in effect, then thrusts aside uh, this, this more socializing tendency. Now, um, uh, how about that economic side? Uh, is there an economic critique, source of critique, that we can make of these things, other than just the obvious of money? We're not mm -hmm. talking just about money. We're talking about the stratification of society along a triangle, as it were, with national health insurance at the bottom. And um, what will happen is uh, <coughs> the utilization of um, that bottom several layers for uh, fodder, shall I say, uh, kind of an economic factor of uh, a grouping together of different sorts of factors um, for the sake of. Uh, let's say the medical profession, which will lose, which will lose money on the one hand, um, uh, in one sense, because the, the cost of hospitalization, et cetera, will, will, will go down, and or at least be regulated. But will retaliate on the other side by um, uh, getting data on on people and using it for experimentation, et cetera. This so you see, if there's a dialectic in here. Mm -hmm. This is not a Marxist argument. Mm -hmm. There is a dialectic in this. Yeah. <clears throat> well, in France, there were very, very strict laws about confidentiality. Um, and when uh, research was done, um, you couldn't indiscriminately break into uh, national health files. Um, in fact, the files were kept in regions and um, were themselves heavily protected. Um, now, you could, of course, do data s studies of, of, of uh, certain uh, epidemics, you know, and, uh, and you could do all kinds of stuff like that, but you couldn't do any kind of study that would um, violate the, the privacy of a, of a person. Connect a, you couldn't connect a name, for example, I mean, obvious, obvious case, but you can't connect a name with a particular disease. Uh, and you could do nothing that would in any way uh, help somebody to isolate a type or a person or a, or a, a community or, or a class or whatever. You, it, it was, you know, so the, the, I assume that if you think about this, if you think this carefully through, it can be done so that you're not violating people's rights. Whether it's going to happen that way is another question. Um, and even, so that's one thing. The thing about saving money, yes, I guess it probably does save money in a way. But um, it's hard to know whether it really saves money in the long run because what happens is that the expenses are roughly the same. You know, you run a hospital, you produce medicine, you basically have X expenses. How is it going to be met? Well, if it's not being met by the, the patient, it's being met by taxes. And so, though you may not notice it as, as well, um, you're simply paying more for all of life. 
Uh, and again, to use the example of France, um, the, we were taxed on everything. And um, the Social Security tax, which is what the national health was there, was among the highest. And, um, you know, it, to, to the extent that some people seriously argued that incentive was, was removed to do business and to start new enterprises and things like that. Um, others would argue that it, no, it was, it was a necessary part of responsibility. Um, but in fact, I don't think it does save money. It simply redistributes the money uh, and the expenses are, are the same. It's just paying for it is a little different. Um, and we saw uh, in France, one of the things that happened, and I think they're, they're, they're trying to work on this, but one of the things that happened is that there's a certain type of person, because it doesn't cost much, who shows up in the doctor's office all the time. And this type of person is usually in the lower economic brackets, not always. There were some other, there were some other cases, but, you know, uh, this was something uh, out of fear or ignorance or dependency or whatever, what it, whatever it is, but or needing attention, but people would just go and, and, and uh, show up. And because it hardly cost anything, there's no um, um, deterrent from, from, from doing this. Now, they, they have tried to um, give some deterrent. One of the, one of the things they do is um, you'll have to pay a certain percent. And then if it's the second, third, fourth, or fifth visit or whatever, you, your percent may increase depending on certain factors. So uh, it does become expensive to, uh, to show up for no reason, you know, and, and they've tried to regulate that. Um, another thing they've built into it is that Social Security will reimburse this amount for, and they've got every single disease and type of visit and, and specialist and operations that categorize. And they'll give this amount. And then if the doctor wants to charge over and above it, that's fine. But he's going to lose patience if the guy down the street charges less um, or charges what the Social Security gives. Um, but it does, it does put the doctors in somewhat of a bind because they are not, uh, in every case, making a lot of money. Um, and um, that may be good or bad. It, it's probably bad in that you you want such a, a high p profession to to have some incentive. And in a fallen world, unfortunately, money is is one of them. Um, but uh, so there are a lot of different factors there. Well, can I just do one uh, another sort of thing, which is shall we say not macroscopic but microscopic. I had some ophthalmologic problems a couple of years ago. I went down to uh, a clinic at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, <clears throat> the studies would have been free, paid for by an IMH. This is my problem. Or an IMH, one of the And um, what I, I, I reneged on it, I forwent it because of the fact that even though, shall we say, this was a form of national health insurance, in which I would have been diagnosed a certain way and with the most precise instruments. I would have had to wear contact lenses, which were tinted a certain way, according to other sorts of instruments, so that my brain itself would have been read inward, and so that the um, coordination and, shall I 
activity of the eyes would have been studied from inside the brain itself. Now, if we're talking about privacy here, I would have been private in the sense that all results in my case would have been not mentioned by name in the publication of this uh, researcher. But my privacy in another sense would have been completely demolished in the fact that my innards had been exposed and possibly set up photographed on one of the pages of the article or perhaps another sort of way. So we're, there are very many different types of privacy here. Um, and um, I find it rather interesting that um, uh, you see uh, if it's a question of an individual person's privacy, by name that's one thing, but there are other types of privacy. Well, yeah, there I would say if the experiment is um, invading the rights of, of the person, you have another kind of problem. I mean, the problem of confidentiality and privacy is one, one thing, uh, but the uh, abuse of individual integrity by experiments which are, are questionable is, is, is another. And I mean, we have laws against this kind of thing. I don't know what the people down there were doing about those laws, but they, there's. Forgetting them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I mean, that's a. To me, that's another order of a. Of a it's, it's something like, you know, like we have. There's animal rights, you know, and people. There's laws protecting animals. Now people abuse those laws all the time, and the argument is often, well, but we can learn so much. It'll save human beings, and there's there's some truth to that. But there's a point at which you just you. Uh, your prior, your 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 virtuous society um, recognizes the place and quote dignity of even an animal, so that you can't do certain things no matter what the end might be, um, and that that I think is a danger in a society that's very very technical. Uh, my roommate in college um, was in the psychi in the psychology department. And they regularly, he regularly saw, now they don't do this anymore, partly because he and other people objected, but they, he regularly saw, you know, using um, Curare and other uh, drugs that would um, numb or, or paralyze a, an animal, but not desensitize the animal. And um, it, it was, it, it's just, whatever good may have come out of it, it was cruel. And uh, they, they they put a stop to it, and uh, that's uh, you know that's one of the risks of a highly technical society. But it's it's something that um, you need to be active in in fighting against um, when it is indeed the invasion of of someone's of someone's privacy and someone's integrity. Um, just like am, uh, doing experiments on um, tissue from embryos. Um, you know, if you need to produce an embryo to get the tissue, uh, and that is a risk to the life of the embryo, no matter what good it is to society, um, it um, it's something that we you know we don't do to unborn children. Of course, then you have to argue further. What happens if they've been aborted? Is that okay? Well, I think that's a double problem, not rather than a simple one. But um, you know, we. I think we need to have um, stri strictures against that kind of thing. Um, okay.
there's a lot more on uh, that I could say about um, confidentiality and so on. We we ought to get uh, some discussion going on the reading we did for this week, um, and um, it's all related, of course. Um, but um, the additional question that is being raised by the the chapters we read here, um, and this is something also related to your question, is what is the what are the issues involved in the kind of behavior control that uh, can be found not only in in traditional medicine but in, in um, psychotherapy? And um, again, uh, things are not terribly clear because uh, rights of privacy are involved, um, but also the definition of care that is um, characteristic of the type of therapy that involves behavior control is, is in much dispute. Um, so they, uh, of course, have articles from various points of view. Um, it is mentioned in one of them that uh, someone like Thomas Zaz um, for example, believes that it's wrong to consider any mental disorder as an illness unless it's precisely an organic uh, disorder. In other words, unless you've got a tumor or a chemical imbalance or an endochrome problem or something like that, um, then um, you shouldn't call it illness. It is simply a behavioral or moral uh, disorder. And then you have others who would lump every kind of psychological problem under, under illness. Um, and then you have still others who would be the strict behaviorists who would go along with Zaz to the extent that uh, you wouldn't call it an illness, but who would say that it's nevertheless a serious enough disorder so that a therapy-like procedure should be engaged in, and uh, some of it is, is very radical behavior control. Um, there uh, is a, um, a, f a very famous behavioral uh, therapist called uh, Wolf, W-O-L-F-F, um, who has found a cure for homosexuality um, by taking a, a, a patient and uh, showing pictures, uh, if it's a male, of a nude man, and then giving him an electric shock, um, and then of a nude lady, and no electric shock, or even reward. Um, and oh, you do this over and over again, it's, it's the clockwork orange kind of thing. Um, you begin to modify someone's, someone's behavior. Um, and, you know, the question here, I guess, is uh, twofold. First of all, what does it um, do to the, to the rights of a person uh, who is a, a moral unit uh, to have um, behavior modified through such strictly Skinnerian um, approaches in, in a civil society? 
And second, as a Christian, what what do we say about the, um, um, as it were, freedom of a person to rebel against God? Now, I, I don't mean this in the Arminian sense. I don't mean that God sort of gave us lots of robe and leeway. But there is something of a um, the integrity of a person who may have made the wrong choice um, is, is still kept in a fallen world by God's patience and common grace. And when God comes and calls us to repentance, he doesn't come with behavioristic modification uh, in order to set us straight. Um, so those, those, um, those questions are, um, are really uh, are very important ones in, in the way that uh, some medical uh, therapies are going, um, and not just medical, but, but you know, behavioristic and so on. Um, and they also raised the question we raised during the first hour of the, um, the dependency, uh, the authority structure of the, uh, of the therapist and the patient. And I think my, my general answer would be the same as what we went, said in the first hour, uh, and that is that um, if we see ourselves as a community and we see doctors and psychotherapists as being teachers of virtue whose techniques and art uh, permit and, and foster the, um, the health and relative good, because it's always fragile and, and not fallible, of a, of, of, of a society and of an individual, you can have a, an answer to, to these problems. Um, however, you need to go the step further and say, well, what is the good in this case? Um, and we have to, I think, as Christians, make decisions about the uh, propriety of certain types of, of therapies, which in, which involve not only behavior modification, but involve a theory of, of personality, a theory of man, uh, which may be um, out of whack with, with, with the Bible. Um, I know that Westminster is famous because Jay Adams, um, in, the, in the late 60s and early 70s, came up with a very, very radical theory that since sin is at the root of every ill, um, only in very limited cases would you ever use drug therapy. Um, and I think he rather went along with Thomas Saws's general notion that there was no category of mental illness other than um, you know, endocrine deficiency or, or whatever it might be. Um, I think I do not go as far as he does. Um, I'm as suspicious as, of overusing drugs for therapy as anyone, but. I think um, I, um, I am much more favorable to psychiatry than, than I think I, than I understand him to be.